the first characters in those stories that come to your mind? All right, Mary, Joseph, shepherds, Elizabeth, all right. Is that it? All right, baby Jesus, that's, that's a good one. <laughs> um, the, the wise men. Um, now, and here's the thing. So every, um, every single nativity scene you've seen is incorrect because they were not all there at one time. Uh, the Bible makes that abundantly clear. So we, we tend to think of, of those characters uh, involved in these stories. But I wanted us to spend some time looking at um, another character that is often uh, overlooked, and that is the example or the, the character we see of Simeon. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from Simeon, who he was, how he lived his life, and what he sought to do, uh, particularly when it came to the, the incarnation of Christ. And so let's go ahead and read Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 35. So Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 35. It says, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what it is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So there are three things I'd like us to consider about Simeon. I want us to consider his dependence on the Holy Spirit, his actions of giving thanks to the Lord, and then finally we're going to see how he is someone who speaks truth. So first of all, I want us to consider his dependence on the Holy Spirit. Now, what is significant about what we see here about Simeon and what's said about him is that he was a, a man who was righteous, devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. That's not just sort of added in there as like a, an extra sort of, oh, this is who Simeon was, but everything before that flows from the fact that he was someone who had the Holy Spirit upon him. The significance of Simeon is drawn out by the, this fact that the Spirit was upon him. Everything else 
in this account flows from his dependence on the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's influence is what brings him to be the type of man that he was. The Spirit's influence is the one who brings him to speak of who Christ is. It is all completely found in his dependence on the Holy Spirit. So what Simeon does for us is he becomes an example for us of what does it look like for someone to live with the Holy Spirit upon them. What does that look like? And in particular, we see this before um, Jesus had even begun his ministry. So here we have an Old Testament example, really, of what the Spirit, what a Spirit-filled person looks like. And so what, what does that look like? What does this dependence on the Holy Spirit look like? And the first thing is that it produced righteous actions. If we are depending upon the Spirit, if we're looking to the Spirit, as Simeon looked to the Spirit, the first thing we will see is righteous actions. Now, notice what it says here again in verse 25. He was this man in Jerusalem. He was righteous. Now, when they say that, his, he was righteous, we have to understand two things about that righteousness. First of all, that righteousness was not his because Simeon was some really great guy. All right? it, he didn't possess righteousness because he somehow produced it within himself. The scriptures are abundantly clear that how many people are righteous? There is none righteous. No, not one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks after God. The scriptures are abundantly clear that all our righteousness is but a filthy rag. It's useless. It's not acceptable to be or to come before Christ. And so what we have to understand is that Simeon is righteous because the Spirit has applied the righteousness of Christ to him. That as he depends upon the Spirit, it is that spiritual work within him that makes him righteous. And it is good to speak of him as righteous. I think this is something we need to understand. If we stand in Christ, we no longer stand on our own. We stand in Christ. And so Christ declares that we are righteous. Now, when we look to ourselves, we do not see righteousness. But when we find ourselves in Christ, God sees righteousness. And so by virtue of our faith in Christ, wrought within us by the work of the Holy Spirit, it is true to say that we are righteous. Not our righteousness, but Christ's righteousness. And so Simeon here is called righteous because of the ministry of Christ. But then we also see that as he was righteous, he also then did righteous things. It was the, and the way that Luke is describing it is though it was a commonplace or a well-known thing that Simeon was righteous. That it was apparent and evident that Simeon was righteous. What we find is that the Holy Spirit who imparts the righteousness of Christ to us, he does that as we come to faith and he produces what we call the new birth. We're born again. And when we're born again, we have a new trajectory to our lives. We're different than we were before. And so the way in which we act, the way in which we live is going to be lived out through the way that we conduct ourselves in righteousness. I think of uh, what's said in Luke chapter 1 about uh, Elizabeth and um, Zacharias. So 
Elizabeth and Zacharias, whose parents were they? John the Baptist. Notice what it says. They were both righteous before God. Now, what did that look like? They walked blamelessly in all the commandments uh, and statutes of the Lord. Righteousness that is founded upon Christ will produce a life that's walked in righteousness that Christ has. They sought to live their lives according to the righteousness of God's law. So, so here's the thing. Here's how this comes to affect us. Right? Do you want or desire to live a righteous life? And hopefully, by God's grace, the answer is yes. You want to live a righteous life. How do you do that? And the answer is never push through yourself. The answer is always to do what Simeon does, to depend upon the Holy Spirit and then to respond to the Holy Spirit in living that life of righteousness. We cannot do anything apart from the operation and the influence of the Holy Spirit on our lives. And so everything else that flows in this story, everything else that Simeon says about Christ, the the fact that he lives a righteous life, it's all dependent upon the Holy Spirit. So he produced, the, the dependence upon the Holy Spirit produced righteous actions. Secondly, it produced devotion. So again, look with me here in verse 25. This man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, he was righteous. And then the second thing that's said about him is he was devout. He was devout. The idea underlying the term here that, that is spoken of as devout is actually the idea of the fear of the Lord. It meant that Simeon was a God-fearing man. This speaks of the entirety of who Simeon was. This was his identity. He was known as a God-fearing man. Now, we talk a lot today about identity, right? That's, a, that's sort of a buzz, fra- a buzz phrase and a buzz phrase. That's not the word. Buzzword or a catchphrase. See how I like to make things up like that? A buzz phrase. So, uh, it, it, so it's, it's something that we talk a lot about, identity. Who, who are you? And people answer that in a number of different ways. They'll answer it based upon their, their ethnicity. They'll, they'll, unfortunately, today they seem to define things based upon their sexuality. Or they'll talk about, we, we can talk about it in more general terms based upon where we live in the country. You know, I'm a northerner, I'm a southerner, I'm a Pittsburgher, I'm, you know, we, I'm from the west coast. We think about defining things that way. We oftentimes will define ourselves by the things that we love. Who are you? I'm a Steelers fan. We've heard things like things, people say things like that. But what should the Christian be primarily known as? What identity should the Christian show to the world around them? And the answer is that we, by the Spirit's influence within us, should be God-fearing people, devout, devoted to Christ completely. We're not just talking about the actions that Simeon was doing. We're not just talking about the fact that he would go to church or or back in that day he'd go to the temple or that he would pray, that he would sing the Psalms. That's not, that was part of it, but it was much deeper. It went to the very root and core of who Simeon was. He was a God-fearing person. 
And so it is for us. Listen, the Spirit does not just simply change our actions. He doesn't modify the way we live our lives and then let the rest of the putrid, rotting uh, flesh and sin continue. He cuts it out. He kills the old man and makes us new in Christ. And so for us to truly have the Spirit working within us, it's going to change us from the inside out so that we become someone completely different than when we were before. That is what Simeon had working within him. So the Spirit produced righteous actions. He produced devotions or devotion. And the final here, an outward-in focus that Luke is giving. Righteous, he, was, he was known as a righteous man. Those righteous actions were evident. But it wasn't just that he did the actions. He was also known as someone who was real about his life before the Lord. He feared the Lord. He was devout. And then we see the Spirit's work within him producing that final, most important aspect. It produced faith within him. It produced faith within him. Notice what it says here. He was righteous, devout, and then notice how that faith is described here. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. The change that was most clearly seen and evident in Simeon was the fact that he believed that God would do what he said he was going to do. He had faith and waited for God to work. The term that we have here, the consolation of Israel, that harkens us back to Isaiah. And Isaiah says in Isaiah, I'm sorry, um, in Isaiah chapter 40. In fact, let's turn there. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 40. And I want us to read the whole passage. Because what we see Isaiah speaking of is the very thing that Simeon is waiting for. Isaiah chapter 40. Who's, who's beat me there already? Everyone's <laughs> All right. Isaiah 40. Isaiah writes, Comfort, comfort my people, or give consolation to my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not, say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. 
Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in a scale and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket that are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him an idol, a craftsman, casts it, and the goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not, um, that will rot, or chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them, they wither. And the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who what? Wait. Upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. When Simeon speaks or when Luke speaks of how Simeon was one who waited on the Lord. What we find is that he was comforted waiting for that consolation. Because he knew that God would send a redeemer. And in fact, 
Isaiah 40, 31 is the very thing that defines Simeon's faith. You know, he is an old man. He's been at the, at the temple for ages. And, and from the time of Isaiah's prophecy, it's been hundreds of years since God said that he will give comfort and consolation to his people. I mean, did you hear the description of God in that passage? He's one who doesn't need anyone to teach him. He's the one who laid out the universe in the way that it should be. The stars exist because he, by his great power, keeps them there. I mean, this is the greatness of God on display. And Simeon is one who is waiting for the Lord. And God blesses him. When Simeon takes up that little baby in his arms, when he takes up Christ as this small child, he recognizes that what he has been waiting for is here. That there is consolation and hope for God's people. And so it is for us. Faith is the key to patience. There's a lot of impatient people in the world today, aren't there? There's a lot of impatient people in churches today. There's a lot of impatience in our own hearts. We want things to happen quickly. We desire for things to be made better right when we want them to be made better. But we walk by faith, not by what? Sight. And so Simeon is an example of someone who waited on the Lord and we see God keeping his word. So we keep reading on in this passage. The Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him, verse 26, that he, to him by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so he comes in the spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the law. And then he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said. And the second thing we see is Simeon giving thanks for God's fulfillment of his promises. This, this scene here was probably a little startling to Mary and Joseph. All right? Think about it. Newborn baby. Generally, you want, especially in today's day and age with COVID and all the sickness that goes around, people are very careful with their babies. They're not passing them around like crazy. And here's this stranger that's in the temple in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a busy place. The temple was a busy place. And he grabs the baby likely out of Mary's arms. I mean, this would have been somewhat startling. And then he goes in and he takes this baby in his arms and it says he blessed God and said what we see here in what Simeon says is an activity of worshipful thanksgiving Simeon is giving thanks to God what does he give thanks for well the first thing he gives thanks for is for God's faithfulness Lord he says in verse 29 now you are letting your servant depart in what in peace. Remember what God's promise was to him. You will not die until you see Jesus. 
until you see the Lord's Christ. Now he's seen Jesus. So what does he know is going to happen? He's going to die. There's no impediment anymore. His death is imminent. And he doesn't look at that as a, as a fearful thing. He embraces it. It brings him peace. He's able to depart in peace. Because God has been faithful to his promises. Remember what we read in Isaiah 40. That, that passage begins by saying, comfort my people. What does God comfort his people with? His character, his nature, his faithfulness. And so Simeon gives thanks for that faithfulness. And in particular, notice that he is letting his servant depart in peace according to what? According to your word. God's faithfulness produces peace, but God's faithfulness is found according to his word. We need to look to the word of God to find demonstrations of and descriptions of the faithfulness of God. And that then engenders within us peace. See, if you want to find peace, real real peace, where should you look? Should you look at the number in front of uh, the number after the dollar sign in your bank account? Should you look at the possessions you have, the health you have? The no. Where do you look for real peace? To the Word of God, because there we see the faithfulness and righteousness of God displayed. Particularly this time of year. And as Simeon is seeing this, he finds the demonstration of God's faithfulness in the giving of Christ. We get so caught up with so many distractions this time of year, and it is a demonstration of God's faithfulness that Jesus came as a little baby in Bethlehem. It shows that God keeps his promises. So he gives thanksgiving for God's faithfulness. But then that faithfulness is found in the fact that God gives salvation. Notice what he says. He says in verse 30, For my eyes have seen what? Your salvation. He's holding the baby Jesus in his arms. He's looking at him. And as he looks in the face of that baby, he's seeing the salvation of God. It is a real salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. This reminds me of what John says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. He's writing to believers. He's writing this letter and he's saying, listen, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have what? Seen with our eyes. Which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands. Concerning the word of life. John comes as an eyewitness of the greatness and the salvation that Jesus brings. And that is exactly what Simeon is saying here. He's holding Jesus in his hands. He's looking at Jesus and his eyes are seeing the salvation that is given. But it is also a salvation that has been prepared, verse 31, in the presence of how many peoples? All peoples. It is a light for revelation to who? 
the Gentiles. Now, I want you to step back. Where is this happening? In Jerusalem, but not just in Jerusalem, in the temple. Gentiles were not allowed there. And yet, Simeon is looking and saying, God has prepared a salvation that's going to not just be seen by me. Notice what he says. It's in the presence of all peoples. That I'm not going to be the only one who handles and sees with my own eyes this salvation, but rather that this salvation is prepared so that all people groups can see and find hope. Particularly, it is a light for the Gentiles. Christ's salvation is evident to all. Now, we may not have physically seen Jesus in the flesh. We may not have, like Thomas, take, taken our hands and put it in the wounds. But we have nonetheless by the same dependence that Simeon had on the Holy Spirit, we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So we can be witnesses and say to others, blessed is everyone who takes refuge in Him. And so we should give thanks, just as Simeon does, that we have seen this salvation. And then he finally gives thanks for God's glory. He gives thanks for God's glory. It is a light for revelation to the Gentiles, he says in verse 32, and for glory to your people Israel. It is for God's people to find glory in Christ's work of salvation. We saw this just a few weeks ago in 1 Peter 5. Peter's exhorting the elders among you as a fellow elder, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. You realize we are able to fellowship with Christ. We are able to have with Christ, in common with Christ, that glory that one day will be revealed. Now, verse 33 his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blesses them. And he says to Mary, his mother, and this is what's amazing here. We see now Simeon speaking truth. So notice again what Simeon has done. Depended on the Holy Spirit, producing a transformative life. He gives thanks for what he has from God. And then he does the very thing that we are often so reticent to do. Speak truth to others. He shares the gospel. Now what's amazing here is he shares this gospel with Mary. I mean, Mary, she's Mary, right? But yet she needs to hear these encouraging truths just as much as every believer needs to hear what Simeon is going to say. The first thing we see is, what will you do with Christ? That's the first question that Simeon asks. What will you do with Christ? Look with me again. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child 
is appointed for what? The fall and rising of many in Israel. Your rising and falling comes down to what you will do with Jesus. Everything about your life pivots on how you respond to Christ. It's likely that the statement that he's giving here is a, is a reference to Isaiah 8.14, that Christ is a, either a sanctuary or a stumbling block. That's what Isaiah says in Isaiah 8.14. And yet throughout the New Testament, we find that this is a truth that is emphasized over and over and over again. Jesus says it. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become what? The cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. The you there are the Pharisees. The you are those who are rejecting Christ. And it will be given to a people producing kingdom fruits. It's fruits. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Rising or falling. Paul emphasizes this in 1 Corinthians 1. Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Christ crucified is what? a stumbling block to Jews and its folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, who are both Jews and Greeks, Christ is what? The power of God and the wisdom of God. And even as Peter has reminded us in 1 Peter chapter 2, speaking of the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, people stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But we who are in Christ, we're not destined for that. We are destined to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we can proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen, Simeon is giving the gospel by saying, what will you do with Jesus? He will be the rising and the falling of many. Then we see, secondly, not only what will you do with Jesus, but what will his cross mean to you? Notice what he says. He says, and he will be for a sign that is opposed. And then we have in parentheses this prophecy about the sword piercing through Mary's own heart. What is this sign? Well, this speaks and refers to the totality of Jesus' ministry. In fact, how Jesus himself is a sign. But what type of sign is he? Is he a sign that's accepted? He's a sign that will be opposed. Jesus, throughout his ministry, looked and produced signs for the sake of sharing the gospel. John 2, 11, he changes the water into wine. This was this, the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Rising and falling based upon the sign that Jesus is, if you accept him, if you follow him, then there's hope. But he does many signs in John 12 and they still did not believe in him. 
He speaks in John 3 that when Moses is lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The sign of the serpent is also the sign of Christ as he is lifted up on the cross. And he speaks in Luke chapter 11, verse 29 through 32, that crowds are increasing. He begins to say this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for what? A sign. But notice, he says, no sign is going to be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Israel, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at judgment with the men of his generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh rose up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. You know, the Ninevites did terrible things. And yet what Jesus is saying is they were given the sign, the sign of Jonah. And Jesus is going to give them the sign of Jonah. And the answer is, what will they do with Christ? What will his cross mean to them? And if they don't repent, then Nineveh will condemn them. And so the totality of Christ's ministry, which is, finds its climax at his death and resurrection, Simeon is pointing to and saying that will you oppose him or will you trust him? And then finally, What will Christ reveal in your heart? Look at verse 35. Speaks of the prophecy of Mary's own soul being pierced through. This sign that is opposed is done. This happens so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the very essence of what Jesus' ministry was about. Jesus didn't come to to change just our outward actions. He came to reveal the darkness of our hearts. To open our own eyes to the sickness and disease and deadness of sin within. And to turn to him. Look, Jesus didn't need anyone to bear witness about man because what did Jesus know? What's in man? You know what Jesus knows today? The same thing. What's in man? Christ looks inward. He reveals where our hearts are. So as Simeon looked in the face of Christ as a baby, he saw the one who knew the deepest desires of his heart. So when we remember Christ... At Christmas, when we think of his first incarnation, Simeon is an example for us. An example for how we should respond. Dependence upon the Spirit. Giving of thanks for the unspeakable gift of Christ. And then speaking the truth. Both to ourselves. What will we do with Christ? 
What will his cross mean to us? What does he reveal in our hearts? And asking that question to others. Looking to Christ as the only hope for a sin-sick world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth we find in it. Lord, may we, by your grace and the ministry of your spirit, seek to be like Simeon, to respond to Christ's birth that same way. Father, work in our midst as only you can. We pray this in Christ's name, pleading his blood. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us here in person. Thanks for joining us online. Have a great week.